Well, good morning, New Cov. It is so good to see you, and thank you for those of you online. We're grateful that you make uh, worship important. Uh, I am so excited about just where God is taking our church, and in particular, this particular season, we're talking about what Christ has to offer us, regardless of what season we may be in, or just came out of, or about to walk into. I want to spend a moment praying for those who uh, experienced the tornadoes, uh, just devastating. There's never a good time for that, I know that. But at this particular season, I'm just reminded how much we need Jesus. Last week we talked to those who, uh, in the afternoon, just talked about hope in the midst of loss. And uh, here we have, just in the United States alone, just this uh, last couple days, uh, with the tornadoes and just incredible. Uh, Abby, who just got through speaking, uh, Stutz, uh, one of her friends was in the tornado and uh, it is doing okay. But just again, it, it touches all of us in some way. And I want us to pray, uh, pray for the early, early on responders uh, and for God to be available to use the church there to minister to people. So let's pray together. Father, we need you, and Father, I, I, God, how I pray for those who are struggling this morning with just the loss, certainly of life, uh, others who are, don't know yet the condition of their loved one who's missing, and then those who've just lost all their belongings. God, I, it's such an overwhelming thing. I pray that you would come alongside, and I pray that you would provide peace, that you would provide uh, help, that you would provide hope. Father, I, I pray that you would be with the churches that are there and for the early on responders, give them strength. I pray that the loving hands of Jesus would be uh, exemplified through the people that are on, on the field. Uh, Father, we commit our lives to you, knowing that our circumstances can change at any moment, but nothing changes with you. You are with us, you are in us, you're around us, you're before us, you're after us, you carry us. And so, Father, I pray uh, for today, in particular, this group here that has uh, come together. God, how I pray that you would speak to each one of us. I pray that regardless of where we came in this morning, that we would make a decision to put our hope and trust in you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things that we've been talking about is just the hope that Jesus has to offer us, regardless of whatever season we may find ourselves in. In fact, we're talking about four gifts, four gifts that the birth of Jesus provides for us, and it's available. The amazing thing is it's amazing now and available now, and the, I want to her to put this, put this way. The early church did not say, look what the world is coming to. And I don't know about you, but I have said this thinking, oh, my word, can it get any crazier? We live in a crazy world and thinking, can, can things get any worse? Look what the world is coming to. No, the early church did not say that. They said, look who is coming to the world. And so our, the whole idea is perspective of where are we going to put our hope and trust, horizontally or vertically? And the early church knew this, and they talked about Jesus and what Jesus has to offer. The first gift that we talked about, that Jesus offers us hope. And as I quickly move this on, I, 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 want you to, I don't want to fly through it so quickly that it doesn't get into you and get into me. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created out of absolutely nothing. God 
created. And the statement we made was, if Jesus can create something out of nothing, imagine what he can do in you and with you and through you. There is nothing you are facing or will face that God cannot create something new out of what you might think I have, I'm in over my head. I have no idea what to do. Isaiah 40, 41, 10. So don't fear. Oh, my word. You, we ought to just park, park there for a while. This, this verse has carried me through uh, some, as of some late times. So do not fear. Why? Because I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. Don't be overcome. Don't be overwhelmed. Because I am your God. And God says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or I've heard it put, he'll, he'll hold us up with one hand tied behind his back. We have such an amazing God. And here's what we, you may need just to park on one of these. So it says, God is over you. He says, I am your God, the one who created all. The one who created something out of absolutely nothing. He is, he's, he's over you. And he's by you. He says, I am with you. God is in you. I will strengthen you. No, no, no thing can happen to you that God can't come alongside and bring beauty out of it. God is around you. I will help you. God is underneath you. I will hold you when you feel like you have nothing left. You are surrounded and infused by the presence of God. And we've closed with this. Faith never knows where it's being led. But it trusts the one who is leading. It's about the perspective of where are you going to let your hope lie. It never knows, faith never knows where it's being led, but it trusts the one who's leading. And if the second phrase is true for us, we trust the one who's leading, the first is irrelevant. The second thing we talked about was peace. The word peace, which means it's not just the absence of turmoil. It's not the absence of, of things going well. It's not the absence of conflict. It's a state of completeness and wholeness. And this is what Jesus offers. It's a state of alignment and restoration. Again, our hope is in Christ. We looked at Isaiah 9, 6, 4 to us. And you ought to circle, yellow, highlight, underline the word to us. Us, to me, for unto us a child is born. For unto us, he's coming to us, not, not just the world as a whole, yes, but he's coming to us individually. A son is given, and look how powerful it is. The government will be upon his shoulders. And here's what he'll be called, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, culminating in the prince of peace. He's a wonderful counselor. Whatever you are facing or will face, he will lead you. He's a wonderful counselor. He will lead you. He will strengthen you. He's a mighty God with one hand tied behind his back. He, is, he will strengthen you. He will love you. He's an everlasting father. Oh, we ought to park on that one. An everlasting father. Never to dismiss. To come alongside. All culminating with grace of his transforming peace. He's the prince of peace. He offers hope. He offers peace. Look at John chapter 1. Will you for just a moment, page 1062 in the Bible in the seat pockets. The third gift we want to look at today, the Stutz has already gave it away. We're talking about joy. It's found in John 1 to 5. This is a huge passage. You'll know uh, Martin Luther made the comment. He said, this book of John, John chapter 1, 
is a river in which infants can wade and elephants can swim at the same time. So it is a massive text, verses 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was life, and that life was the light the direction, the focus, the clarity of us. That light shines in darkness, but the darkness has trouble understanding it. So he starts off and he says, in the beginning, and literally means beginning in eternity and then moving to creation. Get your head around that one, will you? Beginning in eternity, just that phrase alone, it's, it's overwhelming. It's, it's incomprehensible. But he says, that's, what, that's what G, who Jesus is. He's, he's God. He's always been. He begin, has begun in eternity and then moves toward creation. And here's where Jesus explains it a little in John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you. The glory I had with you before the world began. The glory I had with you, the relationship I had with you, before the world began. Father, I want those who have given me, who you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have been given, because you love me before the creation of the world. This is what a, what a huge God we have. One who's beginning in, beginning in eternity and then moves to creation. It says, in the beginning was it's in the greek in perfect tense which means continual existence in past time there's no beginning continual existence in past time there was not a beginning point always has been it just this just shows the pre-existence of jesus why would you and I not put our hope and trust in someone who pre-existed creation i think that's a pretty smart bet to say, I'm going to put my hope and trust, regardless of what I can see, regardless of the season that may come my way, regardless of whether I can get my head around it, I'm going to put my hope and trust in one who's always been, who began in eternity and then has moved to creation, who has continual existence in past time. In fact, John 8, 58, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. John 17, 5, we've talked about this one. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So, in the beginning was continual existence in the past time. In the beginning was the Word. This Greek term logos means not just a single word. It means a message. In fact, John Calvin put it away, Jesus is the speech of God. So from the very beginning, before time even began, Jesus has always existed, continually has existed. And he is the speech of God. He's the message of God. 
His job description is to communicate the intentions of the creator of the universe. Why would we not put our hope and trust in him? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Literally, it could be, say, face to face. In the beginning was the word, and the word was face to face with God. One divine essence, three personalities, personal. Jesus has existed as God and with God from before he constructed time and space. That is where our hope needs to lie. So in summary of this of these words, Jesus has always existed. He is not the JV member of God's family. He's not second team. He's not the next best good idea. He's not the 201 OS upgrade out of heaven. He's always existed. 100% divine, 100% human. Perfect three-dimensional example of the fullness of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God becoming flesh, face to face, becoming and dwelling among us. He, Jesus is the essence of the incarnation. So we have all this. So what does it result in? So why would we spend our time building a base? Because we need a base to say where we're asking you to put your hope and trust in is legitimate. He holds the world together. He created the world before, begin, before the beginning. He always was. What does it result in? In verse 4, look at him. So in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The word life is the word zoe, which means everlasting life. In him is everlasting life. Not just you live, you die, you're done. No more life. This life is the word zoe, which means eternal life. In him is fullness of life. So in him is life. And that life is the light of men. Light provides clarity. Light provides direction. Light provides Whatever we need, it brings perspective. It brings confidence. So in him was life, and that life was the light of men. I want you, you might want to take a screenshot of this. Theologian Frederick Buechner says this about of Christmas. God visited us. The world has never been quite the same since. It is still a very dark world, in some ways darker than ever before, but the darkness is different because he keeps getting born into darkness. Anyone who has ever known him has known him perhaps better in the dark than anywhere else because it is in the dark where he seems to visit most often. Wow. He keeps getting born in the dark. Why? Because darkness is where light is most effective. And so instead of running from God in the midst of the dark seasons you're in, lean in because that's where he 
is born. That's where he reveals himself best. Anyone who has ever known him has known him perhaps better in the dark than anywhere else because it's in the dark where he seems to visit most often. Wow. My hope and prayer would be that we would put our hope and trust in Jesus in dark times and realize that the best is still yet to come. It's what he's saying. That whatever happens, he's with you, he's in you, he's around you, he's before you, he's behind you, he's underneath you. And he can cause all things to work together for good if you put your hope and trust in him. Now can you see why joy is an outcome of the gift of his presence? It's just incredible what he has to offer joy. So what it means is every inconvenience, every problem, every event you encounter is an opportunity for you to experience the presence of God. Invite him in, invite him in. Joy is an attitude we embrace. It has, it has nothing to do with circumstances. It, has, it is not determined by the struggles of the dark, but the issue of joy comes from where our hope lies. Or, as Dallas would have put it, this must be a test of your joyful confidence in God. That whatever you face, this is a test of your joyful confidence in God because God reveals himself best in the dark. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. Uh, I want to share a, a Bible project uh, Advent Word series, the Word of Joy. We'll have another uh, opportunity to, to look at this in just a moment, but I want you to see this uh, from Bible Project. Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. 
This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith, or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's Spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. Louis Giglio put it this way. Think about this. I am not the light. I'm not the center of everything. I'm not in control, I'm not the solution, I'm not all-powerful, I'm not calling the shots, I'm not the owner of anything, I am not the Lord. Just try saying this under your breath. My name is I am not. I'm not running anything, I'm not the head of anything, I'm not in charge of anything, I'm not the maker, I'm not the savior, I'm not holding it all together, I'm not all-knowing, I am am not God. Where does that leave us? Beginning in eternity and moving to creation, Jesus, who pre-existed creation of the world, who has always always existed, who is the speech of God, who created all things, all of that, all of that is pursuing a relationship with you and wants to bring joy to your world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that beginning in eternity and moving to creation, you who are the speech of God, who created all things, thank you that you are pursuing a relationship with us. And we all say together, Jesus, my name is not I am. But my hope and trust is in you as the great I am.
So, Father, I pray that as the early church did not say, look what the world is coming to, but they said, look who's coming to the world. Father, may that be our focus and our perspective. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So glad you are here. A couple ways for, for you to respond today. Uh, we're going to use another BibleProject.com Bible study, and the, the uh, study is called Upside Down Kingdom. It's very similar to what the, the kind of approach that you see there. Great, great website, BibleProject.com and Upside Down. And then uh, those of you that still have the $100, uh, one of the things that I found is amazing as Karen and I have $100, it just makes me more aware of just thinking, who around me is God wanting me to invest in? And so as we pray, and it just makes me aware of the people around us. So we do still have a few of those envelopes left. But we'd also like for you to add to that prayer that you would serve someone this week with no strings attached. Just be Jesus with skin on. That you would pray to say, say God, help me to be Jesus with skin on uh, to somebody today. Help me to be aware of that. Get it? Good.